because it seems like no matter who I talk to or what book signing I'm at, I will bump into at least one or two, you know, and we will start talking about. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today I'm chatting with Nancy Nagel. Here's a bit about Nancy. Nancy Nagel is an author of romance, mystery, women's fiction, and holiday stories. She has written for Montlake Romance, St. Martin's Press, Centerpoint Large Print, Hallmark Publishing, Waterbrook, and Crossroads Publishing House. A native of Virginia Beach, she now calls North Carolina home. Her book, The Shell Collector, published by Waterbrook, an imprint of Penguin Random House, comes out today, May 11th. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. Also, I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code L-L-T-B podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. And now, without further ado, pull up a seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Nancy Nagel, the author of The Shell Collector. Welcome to the Living a Life Through Books podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you, Shanaz. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here too. <laughs> you're very welcome. So I'm really curious. You have written several books. I mean, you're you're a seasoned author. <laughs> I am, but I haven't been published for that long. I had my first book published in 2011. No, and, wow. Yeah, and never had any sights on being an author or a writer. I was um, a senior vice president with Bank of America in technology. And uh, it wasn't until I turned 40 and I was shipping all our jobs offshore to India <laughs> that I was like, oh no, I need to do something nice because I felt really bad. <laughs> and I thought I'm going to write one book to help one girl get through one bad day. And that okay. was my only goal. I had no idea that it was that hard to write a book. And then once I finished it, it was that hard to get it published. But once it happened, it just kind of took over my life. And I took an early retirement to write full time in 2014. <laughs> wow. So in three years. So I'm, I mean, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about The Shell Collector, but I'm really curious about this process. So you wrote your first book. Yes. In 2011. Well, it got published in 2011. Okay, so then you wrote it maybe in 2009 or eight or seven, right? I wrote the first draft of it probably in 2001. <laughs> okay, well, my math is a little bit off. I mean, what do I know? I mean, count one, seven, you know, it's all the same number, right? Right, yeah. So it took me, I, I wrote really, uh, you know, because my job was very fast paced and a lot of crazy hours. And so I ended up writing on airplanes when I was doing coast to coast travel. And it took me about a year and a half, I guess, year, year and a half to write that first book. And I thought it was wonderful. And I got a slew of rejections and couldn't figure out why. And uh, so then I started entering contests and then I knew why it wasn't getting accepted anywhere. Okay. 
it was one big hot mess. And um, I got some lucky advice at just the right time mm-hmm. from um, Kate Duffy, who was with Kensington Publishing back in the day. Okay. And she had pulled me aside and, and we had done a little pitch and she said, Nancy, I love your voice and I bet you can tell a good story, but that one you just told me about has way too much going on. Why don't you just take one little piece of that timeline and focus on that and rewrite that story? And uh, so that's what I did. And the funny thing, Shanaz, is that that story, which was Sweet Tea, actually the original story was As Luck Would Have It. The one that got published was Sweet Tea and Secrets. It was part of a six book series. And little pieces of that initial totally awful book were in all six of those stories. (laughs) That's the wildest thing ever. It was really, really fun. I, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I knew I could tell a story. And so I just kind of did what was in my head. I didn't know anything about character arc or plotting or the black moment. And uh, so I not important, not important, (laughs) just write and it's all fine. It'll all work out. Yes. Yes. Somehow it did. Uh, Right. (laughs) Right. But I went to some classes after that and started reading some books and started knowing what I didn't know. (laughs) Right. And since then things have gotten much better. (laughs) Good. And so you got an agent. Yeah. I didn't get an agent until I guess I had probably 10 books published. And uh, so then I ended up getting my first agent. I was with Kevin Lyon at Marcel Lyon Literary, and she was absolutely fabulous. I love her. Highly recommend her to the sky. And she was my agent when uh, Christmas Joy got picked up by Hallmark to be a movie. Uh And uh, she was the one who kind of helped me get into the the Christmas market. She was the one who called me and said, Nancy, it's my favorite editor at St. Martin's Press wants a Christmas book. Do you feel like writing one? And I was like, sure, why not? Right. That all those things were going to happen because of Christmas joy with the cookie crawl and all those fun things in that story. <laughs> that is so good. So your first 10 books were not, well, without an agent. So who published them? Were they self-published or were they? Well, uh, the first series uh, was with Montlake Romance and that was the Adams Grove novels. Okay. And the ones we were just talking about. And then I followed that up with another series called the Boot Creek novels. And okay. those were also with Montlake. In the middle of all that, I did do an indie published series with a girlfriend. We co-authored um, a cozy mystery series called the Granny series. It has since been rena- renamed, but we called it kind of like the Golden Girls meet dirty Harry. <laughs> okay. All right. And it's still floating out there. The book, first book in that series was called in for a penny. And those four old women couldn't be more different. There was one that was kind of the matriarch of the town and very, you know, refined. And, and that was Miss Lillian. And then there was Maggie, who was the total do-it-yourselfer with the blinged carpentry bag on her hip. And then there was serendipity, the yoga girl, and then Abby Ruth Katie from Texas, who was as hot as her bright red boots. And they were so different, but a lot of fun. And their friendship and camaraderie just comes out in those pages. They were such a hoot to write. They're totally just silly Southern stories, but you know, sometimes that's all you need in your life is just a giggle. So Kelsey Browning and I wrote those stories together and we had written the first couple of those at that point. (laughs) So who do you envision is your audience for your stories or do you envision different audiences? Like the shell collector is, I feel would be a different audience than your mystery book that you're talking about. So can you tell me more about your audiences for your books? Yeah. Well, you know, when I first started writing, I didn't really think about an audience. I was just thinking about stories, you know. Okay. And um, the Cozy Mystery series with Kelsey are definitely a different audience. It's skewed a little older, um, a little more lightheaded, not lighthearted, not really looking for advice or anything. But the rest of my stories are really small town, more community focused, just giving you a little hope. Uh, reminding you to believe in yourself, those kinds of things. And so there too, you know, my audience is definitely skewed a little older, you know, women that are already, you know, in their careers and rearing families and having the most hectic, lovely time of our lives. (laughs) And just looking for that, you know, feel good kind of read and hopefully that'll tickle a little memory along the line like that. (laughs) So this book, The Shell Collector is set on Welk's Island. Welk Island, or is it? No, Welk's Island. So 
Have you been there? Tell me about Welk's Island. Why did you pick Welk's Island? Why did you even pick an island? I'm just curious. Tell me about the setting. So the setting is fictional, but on the on the coast of North Carolina, there are a lot of those little islands along the way. You know, there's there on the coast. You know, Atlantic Beach and Oak Island and Emerald Isle, all those. And um, it's just such a lovely place. And I, of course, was a Virginia girl, and so growing up, I was up in the the top of the Outer Banks, you know, Nags Head and Kitty Hawk and Kill Devil Hills. And so when I started to write this story, was actually inspired by something that really happened to someone that was a friend of the family um, that lived in Kitty Hawk. And uh, she was kicking along in the sand, just kind of really heavy hearted that day looking for answers. And as she's kicking in the water, a shell flips up and she kind of notices something different about it and picks it up. And there was a scripture in it. Oh, wow. And it, it was like just very profound and it was the right thing at the right time for her and um you know she felt very fortunate to have found it and um about a year later she found another shell on the beach similar you know an an inspiring quote in it at just the right time over the years she found like five or six of those shells no one else she knew that lived around there had found any and um it was just such a special story and my cousin that had told me that story passed away in 2014 in february about five weeks after I had lost my husband. And so that story just really stuck with me. And, and I'm sure mostly because of Diane and then my own loss. Right. And that's kind of how the shell collector became a story. I wrapped a lot of my thoughts and fears and things like that into, you know, what if, you know, what if I was you know stumbling across messages that are helping me know that what I was doing was okay. And of course I broke every rule. You know how they tell you, well, when you're, when you lose a spouse, don't make any decisions for a year. Don't make any big purchases. You know, you're, and I remember wanting to scream, I lost my husband, not my sense. <laughs> I can make a decision, but I felt this, this huge, strong pull to kind of move in a different direction. And I took, uh, just kind of closed the door on the farmhouse where my husband and I lived, bought a house in North Carolina, moved. I started writing more, spending more of my time that way. And I ended up taking an early retirement, casting, you know, all my trust that things were just going to be okay if I wrote full time and I've done it. And I felt so peaceful about the whole decision, even as crazy as it looked to everybody else. (laughs) Well, congratulations. I mean, your books are doing well. I mean, obviously you have like 18 books, I think, or, or I lost count because I can't count that high. (laughs) So you're doing well. So, but are you retired though? You're not retired. You retired from Bank of America. I retired from Bank of America. So now I'm just writing full time. Yeah. You're, you're an author now. So you have a job as an author. You're not retired. Technically. (laughs) You got a new career. Yes. New career. (laughs) And it's the best darn job in the world. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. It's just, there's no one. I mean, it's, you have control over all of it, which is really great. Yes, it is. So tell me about the shell collector as far as what is the genre of it? Because I was a little confused that one place it said contemporary fiction. In another place, it said romance. Mm. And when someone asked me what this is, I didn't even, I hadn't read the genres. And after I read it, I just said, oh, it's Christian fiction. Right, right. (laughs) That's what I called it. Like I, you know, like, and then I was like, wait, it's not Christian fiction. It's contemporary fiction. What? Really? And then somewhere else it said romance. And I'm going, okay, what is it? So tell me, what is it? I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a romance. I mean, there are definitely romantic elements in it. And even the relationship, you know, between Tug and Maeve, the older characters, there's some romance, romantic feelings there. Right, of course. At all. You know, I think it's really more women's fiction, you know, and definitely okay. there's inspirational edge to it. There's, you know, God's worldview, Christian worldview in the story, um, which is just me. So it comes out in the story. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's really a story about, you know, finding hope and starting over and second chances and being brave. And I think the the friendships are the biggest part of that story. I love, you know, Maeve being in her 80s and kicking along that beach and being at every one of those little town meetings, making sure her town is still going to be Welks Island when she's long gone. I just love that about her. I want to be her. (laughs) 
You want to sit there and scripting shells? Like go out into the ocean and write these, you know? Yes, I just think that would be fabulous. (laughs) And I love how, you know, the kids kind of bring her and Amanda together, you know, just out there on the beach and almost by happenstance, you know, just being, Mm -hmm. you know, strong enough to just say hello. You know, how often do we just kind of keep moving through life and not even take a time to nod or smile? And, and those little gestures can mean so much. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I completely agree with that. So I Googled, I didn't Google. I actually was looking on Goodreads Yes. and I don't know what I was looking for. I think I was look, I don't know if I was looking for a synopsis of your book or what. And I pulled up the shell collector, right? Mm -hmm. So I put in the title, the shell collector, and there are, I think three or four books. There are the exact same title. Can you tell me about that? You know, we, I I pushed back a little bit on that, you know, with my publisher, it was originally called the shell collector, just because, you know, I work in Scrivener, I throw a name on there. And, and I knew that's who Maeve was, and kind of the whole story was built around her. And I, and when I turned it in, I said, Oh, this, this is probably a terrible title. And, you know, it's so generic. And I know there are other books called that, you know, none of them were recent. And my publishers felt like, it was still okay. It was a good name. It was catchy and it told you exactly what you were buying. So we, we threw caution to the wind and went for it anyway. And you know what? I don't think it matters. That first book, Sweet Tea and Secrets, which was, I thought like the most clever title in the world. Somebody else is putting another book out there called Sweet Tea and Secrets now. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Trademark a title. It happens all the time. (laughs) Okay. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or is that neutral? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm just curious. I think if any of those other shell collectors were like naughty books or, (laughs) or like, you know, horror or something like that, I would not be pleased with it. But I think as long as they're uh, good books, then I think it's okay. (laughs) Speaking of naughty books, Mm -hmm. your book is quite clean. Have you ever, have you ever considered and or wanted to write a scene, maybe just one scene that's just a little bit more than what you have, <laughs> like put it in delicately. Yeah, that was a good question. Well, you know, in Montlake Romance with my first contracts, you know, the first few books went fine. And then I started, you know, it's like, how many different ways do you say all that stuff? And so I remember turning in, I think it was Mint Juleps and Justice. And I turned the book in and my developmental editor sent a note back and she said, did you just like leave out a chapter or a scene? Because it's like, they go to this kind of hot almost moment and then we're just like on another day and I said well yeah I was trying to skip it and she's like no 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 no." so I ended up having to go back in and fix that and so those first books that I wrote with Montlake Romance yeah there were romances and definitely they um they have those kind of scenes in them not very many and not very saucy um I wouldn't have been embarrassed if my grandma had read them okay Um, I might have blushed a little but you know they weren't horrible (laughs) (laughs) but they weren't 50 shades of gray or anything either so okay okay I definitely have done that before but you know as I've matured in my writing I think my stories are stronger and so I don't feel like I need to to spend a lot of time on that facet of them Okay. So this whole story is based on a true story. Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's very similar to uh, finding the shells. And, you know, of course, in this case, in the case of the book, you know, it's Maeve behind it. Right. You you have a name for this book, but I'm just, you know, in your story, it's just these shells. And I'm just like, wow. So what are your favorite messages in these shells? Oh gosh, you know, without a doubt, the, my favorite one in the whole book is the shortest and simplest, and that's interrupt worry with gratitude. You know, when I read that just along the way, when I was doing research and I would grab Mm -hmm. things and put them in a big list, that one I kept shifting to the top because I I think probably because it was such an important message to me, you know, Mm -hmm. I've dealt with anxiety my whole life. And, you know, even though I would speak in front of, you know, hundreds of people, I would get so anxious like when they'd come around the room and say we just need you to say your name which department you're in I would almost pass out waiting for my turn (laughs) 
take a tape recorder. And people would be like, I know they were like, but you're so natural. It's easy. I'm like, no, it makes me almost sick. But I would just really have a lot of anxiety about things. And when I read, you know, interrupt worry with gratitude, the first time I read that was right after, you know, I had lost my husband and I was worried, you know, I was worried about how my life was going to look and how I was going to kind of unbraid myself from who we were to just me. And, you know, I was afraid and I was worried and I was scared. And so that, that statement really gave me a lot of strength. And the more I focused on how grateful I was, the less power that worry had. So yeah, that without a doubt is my favorite one. So what is your why for writing in general? And what is your why for this book. So why do you write? And why did you write The Shell Collector? Yeah, I mean, why do I write? You know, once I got to the point of writing a few books, I just love it. I love the storytelling. I love the feedback, you know, from people that say it reminded them of their aunt or, you know, the their mom was reading it, you know, in the hospital. It was the last thing she read before she passed away or, you know, that somebody was having a bad day and they feel better. Those things just, I love being a little piece of people's lives, especially people that I've never even known. It's easy to, you know, make a girlfriend feel better or you're, you know, somebody that you know, somebody that you don't know at all. I mean, I just, I love the thought of that. The reason I wrote The Shell Collector and that story just really hung on my heart once I lost Mike. And, um, you know, his battle with cancer was really short and he was diagnosed at the end of October and he was gone at the end of January. And so, I mean, I, and we knew, you know, it was imminent. So, you know, we were able to plan a little bit and say the things we wanted to say. And, you know, it just, it's a really hard thing to go through. It is. And I've been so blessed that as I've gone through that journey, I, it seems like (laughs) I laugh and say that it's almost as if all the widows of the world have me on their GPS, because it seems like no matter who I talk to or what book signing I'm at, I will bump into at least one or two, you know, and we will start talking about, you know, how it felt and how the second year was harder and, you know, how we got through it. And, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe, you know, where I am now compared to where I was then, because I never thought I'd even be able to get on my feet again. So this book was really important to me to be able to it just share that, you know, there is hope after what seems like the hardest thing to go through. And there is a tomorrow that feels good in your own skin, not wrapped up in somebody else's. Yeah. It took me a long time to actually be able to write it though. You know, I took notes on it for, you know, since 2014 and it wasn't until January last year that uh, my new agent and I started shopping that. And uh, Steve Lobby is um, well-known in the Christian communities. And he got me in front of, you know, all the uh, publishers and, and everybody was interested, which had never happened to me before. I was so excited that there were so many people excited about this story with me. And Water Book Press has been just amazing to work with. They have really taken, you know, my story and helped me shine it as bright as I could make it. I hope it touches some hearts. <laughs> what was um, the hardest part to write? to write? What was the hardest scene to write? You know, I think the hardest scenes for me were letting go of Maeve. She became such a close friend to me that having to let go of her, even though I set out, you know, the book ending that way, it was hard to do. And I I thought about rechanging the ending (laughs) because it was so hard to write. Do you know a Maeve in real life or... I don't. Well, you know, my Maeve, I, I guess I did have a Maeve. I had somebody that helped me through the loss of my husband. My my best friend, Pam, uh, lived in Virginia Beach and I was living in, in southeastern Virginia in Druryville, which was about an hour and a half away. And she didn't ask me if I needed her to come. She didn't. She just came and she stayed with me for two months and she's married and her husband let her come and stay with me all that time. And finally, one morning she said, you know, eventually I have to go back home. (laughs) And I said, I know, but thank you for being here. And I wasn't going to be the one to tell you to leave, but she really, you know, she, she didn't push. She didn't tell me what I needed to do or what I couldn't do. And, and even when I had some crazy ideas, you know, she just let me do what I needed to do to get through that grief because there isn't a prescription for grief, you know? So you, you just are going for it. Yeah. She was definitely my Maeve. She kept me on my feet. She definitely rescued me at a time Um, that 
I don't know how I'd have gotten through it without her. We all need our angels in our life, don't we? We do. We do. And, you know, we need to let them be those angels. Because if she'd have asked me, I would have never, I, if she'd have said, do you need me to come? I'd have probably said no. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. Right. So. It, it's the the concept of when there's a funeral, or something, hey, call me if you need anything. Right, right nobody's going to call you. It's, you just got to do for them. Yeah, exactly. There is no, call me if you need anything. Bye. Have a good one. You'll be fine. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Yes. Well, you know, I even had um, a girlfriend from elementary school and she and I had been on cheerleading squads together. I hadn't seen her since high school. And, um, when that happened, she and her boyfriend drove an hour and a half and brought me homemade chicken and dumplings. And I wasn't even there. You know, she just brought them. She talked to my mama and she left. I didn't mm-hmm. even get to see her. But yeah, I mean, it's those kind of things that, you know, I'll never forget them. I'll right. never forget that. I mean, they they changed my heart. So um, who was your favorite character then to write? Mm. Fun, I had a lot of fun writing the kids. Really? <laughs> I did. You know, I've never had children of my own, but I love, you know, that, you know, I've got a stepson who's eight. And he has been in my life for the last four years and he is a big part of it. And so being able to kind of experience some things, you know, that that we have experienced together and some of his friends and the little girls and, you know, that my girlfriends have, it was just a lot of fun for me. I was kind of living vicariously through Amanda, you know, with those children. So I I really kind of had a lot of fun with that and the wife. I loved the wife. The wife. (laughs) Who am I missing? Tug's bird. Oh, yes. Oh, duh, duh. The wife. I'm like, wait, wait. Oh, my gosh. The wife. The wife. Duh. I'm like, I'm like wait. I, all of a sudden, I just suddenly, you know, brain fart going. Like, whose wife are you? Tug's, Tug's bird. Yes. Yes. The wife was amazing. You're, you know, I loved the wife. And that was not planned. You know, I, I just kind of started falling in love with Tug and who he was, you know, to Maeve and just how how fun he was. I was like, oh, I would love to go to his diner. And the more I fell in love with him, the more I wanted him to be a bigger part of the book, you know? So that's how the wife came apart. I I thought he needed something more so I could interact with him more. (laughs) It was a little bittersweet though. Ultimately he doesn't get Maeve. No, no. And he could have. Well, I don't know if he could have, he would have, right? (laughs) No, I think Maeve was a little, I don't think Maeve was really looking in the right direction. Yeah, no, she didn't give herself a chance, basically. Yes, yes, that's true. She just kind of washed over Tug and then it was to the end is when she realized, oh, Oh, he really meant it. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about your um, writing process in general, like, so let's start off with blank word document or whatever, and then carry me through the whole journey. Okay. Well, usually I first do a big synopsis um, okay. and I try to do it detailed, especially you know, the first few books I wrote, I just kind of wrote. Um, okay. but now that I've got so many deadlines, I write a really detailed synopsis to keep me on track. And I use Scrivener. So once I write that really detailed uh, synopsis and the publisher kind of agrees with everything I've got, we feel like we've got a really good solid story. I start dropping all those scenes into Scrivener. And, um, you know, I'm not a sit in the chair every day from, you know, X time to Y time. I just don't do that. Um, but I am a big planner. Um, and I think that probably comes from, comes from my banking days and the project management and all that stuff. So I know, you know, how many words I need to write, how fast I need to be and on what date I need to be where in the story. Um, so I keep track of things like that. And then I let that drive how much time I need to spend writing. Um, I, you know, I got remarried last year on Christmas day. Congratulations. And thank you. And, um, you know, Andrew has a a eight-year-old son. So I have a stepson and we have four horses and we have lots of property. And so I'm trying to enjoy and embrace every bit of regular life that I can. And I think that makes my stories better too, you know, getting to meet more people and, and bring some of those personalities to life. You've got to tell me what Scrivener exactly is. I'm sorry, I'm, be, I'm being totally clueless. Is it an app? What is it? Scrivener. 
Scrivener is a writing software and okay. uh, it's available for Mac or for the PC, but the PC version doesn't have as many bells and whistles. And okay. Scrivener, I loved Scrivener so much on the PC that that's what drove me to get a Mac to get the better version. It's okay. <laughs> so what does it do that Microsoft Word cannot do or what is it? Like it, um, it allows you to kind of partition things into folders and uh, you can add metadata so you can track your timelines and your story threads and you can color code, you know, whose point of view you're in. So it makes it really nice um, to be able, as you're writing, kind of see how your pacing's going, where you might have a dropped thread. You can also uh, do a, a view that's like a corkboard view. Um, if you like to plot with uh, cards, it does all that for you. I don't do that so much anymore, but yes, yeah, so it's got a lot of really writer-friendly tools and it's not very expensive. I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a little, I found when I first tried it, I bought it years ago and I spent so much time playing with how to set it up that I didn't get any writing done. Um, but then when Kelsey and I <laughs> co-authored the Granny series, we were writing in two separate towns. I was in North Carolina, she was in Georgia. And with that tool, we were able to both work on the same book at the same time. So that was kind of what drove my initial, okay, we're going to use Scrivener. And then once I really started using it, I loved it <laughs> and I haven't left it. <laughs> okay. Because now I think people are using Google Docs. Yeah. I think a lot of people are using Google Docs now. Because mm -hmm. you can actually edit side by side with yeah. someone. Yeah, you definitely can. You, you can't change up the scenes and things like that. Like you can in Scrivener, it's got some other tools. And then you can in Scrivener even export it in the format that you need to publish it if you're doing independent publishing and stuff too. Okay, maybe so I, I need think, to look into this. I know, I think it's a great tool. You might want to check it out. And okay. I usually do um, all my first drafts in Scrivener. I do my first draft there and then I'll get my developmental edits and I do my developmental edits all in Scrivener. And then once we're to the point of just doing kind of line edits, then I do everything in Word. Okay, so then you export out of Scrivener mm -hmm. into Word mm -hmm. and then you do line edits in Word. Why not in Scrivener? Well, I always export to Scrivener to submit them back to the publisher anyway. They want them in a Word doc. So, um, oh, you know. so the publisher doesn't want in a Scrivener. No, no. Mm -mm. They want it. You would think that there would be some kind of a, hey, no, this is an author thing. Let's all do Scrivener. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not an author or something. I don't know. Well, I think, I think they say it, it's a word thing. <laughs> The word thing okay it's a word thing. you gotta use word <laughs> and pretty soon they're gonna be like nope sorry i need it in google docs i'm gonna be like okay i'm done that's right that probably will happen <laughs> don't say that out loud <laughs> <laughs> so you know you were talking about deadlines you said mm -hmm. that now you have to write a synopsis and you've got your deadlines tell me about that like what deadlines do you have how many books are you writing girl so, yeah, so um, so right now we're getting ready to put out The Shell Collector, May 11th. I am also working on What Remains True, which will be out next year in May. So I okay. just turned that in. We're starting developmental edits on that now. Okay. Um, the Wedding Ranch I turned in in January. And so I've already gotten through developmental edits on that, but now I'm doing revisions and line edits on that. So I'm generally working on three books at a time you know, one that I'm promoting, one that I'm just starting to write, and then one that I'm editing. And that's pretty much the pace all the time. Um, I do have a couple months after I get these last two edit sets of edits done, where I'm actually going to be able to just like read and play before I have to start my next book that's due in November. So I have a little bit of breathing room, but um, I was so excited to work on the Wedding Ranch for St. Martin's Press. And because their women's fiction requires more lead time than the mm -hmm. Christmas books I've always done for them, I gave up doing a Christmas book for them for release this year so that we could get the women's fiction in the pipeline first. So I have this little shift in schedule, but it's, it's opening up some free time. I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> so how many publishers are you working with? You're working with St. Martin's on some book. And now you're working with water. It's Waterbrook. 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 Yeah. Um, the of Penguin Random House. Right. And right. then um, Hallmark Publishing 
I have, I've been doing things with them. And so right now I don't have any books due for uh, Hallmark, but I, they are shooting Sand Dollar Cove, the movie right now. And that'll premiere on June 26th on the Hallmark channel. Okay. Wow. So you're dealing with three publishers and it's kind of like your three books that you're juggling to write. Yeah. And then yeah. you get a two month break. Yeah. And then I'll write a Christmas book that'll come out the following Christmas and uh, a little wedding story that'll be out next year too. Ah, so, yeah. <laughs> so since this is your full-time job, since this is your profession now, yeah, how many hours do you spend on it per day? It really, if we, if we graphed it out, it would look so random, you know? I mean, because one day I, I make myself do at least 20 minutes every day of writing, not just marketing or, you know, cause there's so much other stuff besides the writing that goes into it. But for the writing, I make sure that I do at least 20 minutes a day, every day, but that's the max. That's like my, or the minimum, excuse me. That's the only thing I require. So today I might do 20 minutes because I'm doing podcasts with you. I'm doing marketing things because the book's so close to coming out right. and I'll do my 20 minutes and that's it. But then tomorrow I might just sit and write for 10 hours straight because I'm just, you know, in the groove and writing. So yeah, it's really random, but I, it drives two off of my goals. You know, I'll take a look at what's my word count. What's my deadline? How much time do I have? Where am I in the story and how much freedom I've got, you know, to wiggle around. And I'm a procrastinator from way back. You know, my mama will tell you, I was the little girl that would be up at 1130 at night doing the poster and the book report, and she would just be wanting to kill me. And then I would go into school with my big presentation and get an A. <laughs> so it bred bad habits, I will say, but I usually get them done on time. Do you have a um, story structure that you follow, a format that you follow for your stories? You know, it's just kind of natural. Okay. You know, I don't, don't have a set framework. You know? So where do your ideas come from? Your next story? Like, what do you do? Like, you just so like, okay, well, I don't know. Someone went to Timbuktu. Let's do a story about that. Yeah, I mean, usually it's, it's based on life and what's going on at the time. Okay. You know, um, when life after perfect came out, I was signing books on the Pacific princess because it was a princess cruise book club pick. And we did a cruise to Alaska. And so we got to see the whales and beautiful Alaska. And while I was in Skagway, I did a glass blowing excursion. While I'm doing this glass blowing, there's this super young guy, probably in his early twenties, that's helping us learn how to glass blow. And as we're doing it, I, first of all, I had no idea it was that physical and hot. Oh my gosh. And it was hot in Alaska and you had the lab coat on and the big goggles. So you look awful. And, um, we're, and it was my birthday too. And so we're rolling these things and he's blowing the glass and we're doing the, putting them in the fire. And I turned to him and I said, Oh my gosh, this is so physical. This is like the, the ghost, you know, pottery scene. And he laughed and I laughed and I said, well, don't laugh. I, you might end up in a book. And sure enough, I gave him a card and I said, well, tell your mama to start reading my book. She might see you in one. And so the next book I wrote in the Boot Creek series was called Until Tomorrow. And it had a glassblower hero in it that lived in Alaska. And he was trying to get the girl he met at the North Carolina wedding to move to Alaska with him. So sometimes it's just that I, I learned something new and I want to share it and you know, the glass blowing was so beautiful and just the artistry of it that you know it was fun to be able to describe you know his log cabin up in the mountains with the colorful glass and the insets you know between the logs and the hard logs in the you know sharp glass and just some of that it's just so hard not to spill out to the world you know because I get excited about it I met Andrew and our first date was horseback riding and it wasn't, uh -huh. a date. it wasn't a date he just you know he knew it was my birthday and he knew I'd never been horseback riding and so he said I'm gonna take you horseback riding for your birthday I was like okay so we did and it was first time I'd ever ridden a horse and um, I was way too old to try something new like that but I did it anyway and we had a great time you know we became best friends and lo and behold, we ended up being married and, and have a wonderful life together. But yeah, so 
of course, some of that stuff falls into my stories now. I have a lot of horseback riding in my stories now because there are a lot of very special moments, you know, when you're watching the world through those ears, you know? Right. (laughs) Right? Right. It's a different view. It's a different angle on life and uh, nature and everything around it. I mean, the way their hooves sound when they're clomping through the creek water, you know, it's, those are special moments that not everybody's going to ever get to try. And so if I get a chance to be able to share something like that, I love doing it. And so stories just start cropping up in my mind. And of course it can become a problem because, you know, we'll be doing something and Andrew's like, there's your writer mind. (laughs) Because I'll already have a whole story around it. That's not even true. You know? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's what, that's what authors do, right? I mean, hazard. There you go. It's like, don't sit in the restaurant booth next to me. That's You're right. going to show up in the next book. That's right. Exactly. You know, I've got my microphone. I'm recording right now. <laughs> A little louder, please. I missed that one. What was the last line? <laughs> Well, and luckily my memory is so awful. And I don't know if it's because I'm so busy making things up that I just can't remember the real things or what. <laughs> but I mean, I can't remember, you know, we can have something go on yesterday and I'll remember some of the details, but there will be some things that I just flat out will not remember at all. And so I think that's probably lucky that that happens because then I have to fill in the blanks. And, you know, I'm not telling somebody secrets. <laughs> Tell me about your research for, you know, like, like when you talked about the log cabin and the glass blower, I mean, yes, you did the glass blowing. So you had some quote unquote lived in experience, if you want to call it that, but then you go into the log cabin. Tell me about that. Like, how do you find out about a lot of time online yeah and I I do I spend a lot of time online just like everybody else does and you know it's so different now than even it was you know back in the early 2000s because I mean YouTube and videos there are a gazillion of them out there and I feel like I've built some log homes by myself You know, um, but the, some of the stuff I do hands-on, you know, I love cooking. I'm not a great cook. I always like to say I'm like a 50-50 cook because mm-hmm. there's like 50% chance it's going to turn out. And 50% <laughs> chance it is not. And um, Andrew's a wonderful cook, thank goodness. So we, we eat well every day and it's not because of me. But I do love trying those things. And I love watching the cooking shows and the Food Network. And Hallmark had asked me to write a Valentine's story for them a couple of years ago. And so I was like, gosh, no, what can you do for Valentine's Day? And mom and I are always watching those cooking competitions and the ones that are like the extreme, you have to have like a five foot cake and it has to have animation and those kind of things are the best. I love those. Um, So I, when I wrote the secret ingredient, I rolled all those things up into that story. And so it was a lot of fun because they even pulled in. Um, one of the judges from Chopped into the movie. And of course there was a horseback riding scene in the book. It didn't make it to the movie, but you know, there's, it's, I I like to try as many things as I can. Wow. So what is your secret talent? I don't know. My secret talent. Yeah. I have no secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that is your secret talent, but you have no secrets. That's right. I know I'm such an open book. Um, you know, I used to live on a goat farm and I'm very nimble or agile, I guess. And I think that is kind of a talent in a way, you know, when things shift or change, I'm pretty good at landing on my feet, no matter what. And I am a little fearless in that I'm not afraid that I'm going to make a mistake. I know a lot of people kind of freeze and not be able to move forward because they're afraid it won't be the right decision. And and I always feel like you can always fix and, you know, recourse. It, it, it's just not a problem. So I think that that helps me too in my writing, because, you know, like you said, I have shifted and changed a little bit since the beginning. Right. And I've just kind of trusted the journey and gone forward. And, you know, my books have become very clean and very, you know, uplifting and I'm not looking for the, you know, scary moments anymore. Um, when I wrote Mint Juleps and Justice, I was thinking I was going to be a thriller writer. And I was actually a member, I still am, of International Thriller Writers Association, but I don't write thrillers. When I wrote that book, it was, it had a, um, a murderer in it and all this stuff. I even wrote in the bad guy's point of view. And I was like, I'm a thriller writer. And you know, the first feedback I got was, I love that book, but you're, yeah, you're just not me. 
did not mean enough to carry that stuff off, Nancy. So I have found my own vibe, you know, my own groove. And it's a lot sweeter, a lot gentler. And I like it there. <laughs> oh, good for you. Good for you. So um, have you been to like Denali National Park or tell me yeah. about the Spanish moss? I've never even heard of Spanish moss. Yeah, oh, tell me, uh, tell me about all the stuff. Yeah. So Denali, um, when I did the cruise to Alaska, um, it was the year that Mike passed away and I went with Pam, my, mm-hmm. my Maeve and her husband, her sister and brother-in-law and her brother and sister-in-law. And so I was the fifth wheel, but they were so magnificent. It was a wonderful trip, but we took an extra week and went all the way up to Fairbanks and went to, through Denali and, and they went on airplanes, ran the top of the mountain. I did not do that. It was a really windy day. It, I was just not that fearless, but it was beautiful. I mean, just, you know, seeing the grizzly bears and just seeing how, you know, I, Alaska, when we were there was warm and beautiful. And I was like, y'all are just telling people it's cold and snowy. So we'll stay away. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. It was like being in the South. It was fabulous. I loved it. And just the colors of the nature up there are so different, you know, in the glacial water and everything. But when I was a little girl, you know, I grew up in Virginia Beach, right on the coast. And I remember the first time that I saw Spanish moss was at the Botanical Gardens. And it's really silvery and it's not a moss at all. It's actually a different kind of plant. And I can't even remember what it's called now. And I'm not that good of a green thumb. So, um, but it's very silvery and fine and it's just kind of woven and it drips from the trees. It is so magical. And I remember as a little girl just wanting some so badly. And we did end up getting some and tried putting it in our trees in the backyard and it never took off. Um, But in Charleston and in some of those places down in South Carolina in the low country, in Savannah and things like that. I mean, the moss is so gorgeous. And so, you know, when I thought about what I wanted to do was give Maeve kind of a bucket list item that was doable, you know, because sometimes I think our bucket list items are so outrageous that we could never, ever, ever do them. Right. And, um, you know, so I wanted her to have something that would have been doable. It felt like it wasn't doable to them at the time, but um, I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be neat if it's something that simple that, you know, it would be easy for Amanda to make come true for her. And um, it was still, you know, a huge commitment to, you know, travel with her when she was not doing very well and to leave her children behind. And so we're still a big give there on Amanda's part to make it happen. But wow, what a special trip. And it, and it was kind of Maeve's first girl trip, you know? Right. And I don't know about you, but my girl trips are so important to me. I love girl trips. <laughs> oh, they're amazing. They're amazing. Yes. yes. You need them in your life. And even if it's just, you know, kicking everybody out of your own house and inviting your girlfriends to your house and making the girl trip to your own house, it's right. worth it. you need that time. It's right. Absolutely. Wonderful. <laughs> right. So I'm going to go back real quick. Tell me about this cruise. You said it was a book club, yeah, but so then you went into the book club, pay for you or what? How does this even work? Yeah. So it was really a strange thing. So, okay. um, I'm trying to think which year that I guess it so it happened in 2014. Okay. Princess book. So the Princess cruise ships, okay. you know, like the Love Boat, Pacific Princess, and all those, they have what's called the Pacific Princess Princess Cruises Book Club pick. And so through, I don't know if they do it all year, but mine was a summer pick. And so okay. they list a few books that they're recommending to their cruisers to read. Because you okay. have people reading on the dock in the deck or whatever. The right, right, deck. right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so my book was picked for one of those. And so, yeah, I got to sail on the Pacific Princess. And then I did um, a couple talks and I signed books and we gave away some gifts. And I got to call out the bingo on the cruise. Wow. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot that I had to do while I was there. But I had four or five little events that I did. And they took just a few hours out of the whole trip. Then when we got off the, the boat, the three couples and I, we all got on a like a fancy bus 
it was called a rail tour, but really it was a bus. And they took us partway up to Fairway. And then we did get on like a little railway that took us the rest of the way up. Unfortunately, I ended up with pneumonia at the end of the trip. No. There was a lady, really nice lady that was sitting like two seats behind me. And, you know, this was kind of one of the bittersweet parts, I guess, of that trip. You know, I was traveling alone because my husband had passed away, but you still had to pay for two people. And Pam's mama was going to come, but then she got afraid that she wasn't going to be being able to get around as well as she should. So I ended up going alone. So everywhere we went, whether it was dinner, on the bus, there was an empty seat next to me. So it was was like a constant reminder that he wasn't there. But there's this really nice couple that sat behind me, a man and a woman, and she coughed the whole entire trip. She kept going, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Don't y'all worry. And we were like, okay. Well, she was definitely sick because I (laughs) I ended up with pneumonia. I had to stay in the Fairbanks hotel three extra days because I could not move. I was so sick. <laughs> I don't even know how I bared off on that conversation. <laughs> but um, but yeah. But that's exciting. I did not know cruise ships had their own book clubs. Like I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and I didn't at the time either, but back then, some of the cruise lines were even um, having some authors come on ships and write stories while they were on the ship, like short stories, Uh and they were putting them out. And Montlake Romance was kind of helping get that together, I guess, because a lot of the ships were going out of the Seattle area or Vancouver. But um, yeah, I don't know if they do it anymore. I'd love to do it again, though. That's crazy. That that sounds amazing. And I loved calling out bingo. That was a I need a bingo book. <laughs> That's what you need. I need a bingo book. Meet me at bingo. <laughs> I love it. What a great title. There Stop. you go. Why have to write it together? There you go. <laughs> write it down. Meet me at bingo. <laughs> B fifty-two, or no, I guess that would be a real number. B fourteen. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Okay. So, top three favorite books of all time. Oh gosh. Okay. Number one, always number one, Mary Alice Monroe, Time is a River. Okay. I absolutely adore that book. Love it. I recommend it all the time and have ever since it came out. Number one should be the Bible, but I'm just going to put it in number two. (laughs) The man upstairs did not hear you on that one, but okay. But he knows I am in the Bible every day. So I think he forgives me for telling people about Time is a River first. Okay. And, you know, I think I'm going to give something lighthearted, Hissy Fit by Mary Kay Andrews. I think that is the only book that I've actually laughed out loud and snorted as I read it in the airport to where people looked at me and I was embarrassed. <laughs> Last question. Describe okay. your book, The Shell Collector, in three words. Trust, friendship, and comfort. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for chilling with me and coming on my podcast. Thank you. You are so fun. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you want to know more about Nancy or her books, go to her website at nancymagel.com. I'll add the link in the show notes. As you know, this month I'm working on my own manuscript and there's going to be one more episode and that's going to be next week with my conversation with brian broom the author of punch me up to the gods stay tuned for that before i go if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes please take a moment to write me a review on apple podcasts please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. On TikTok, my tag is Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, but I think the page is called Living a Life Through Books. On the audio app called Swell, my tag is at Bookish Podcast. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shanazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books, signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. <laughs>